The Deal with Yield is a podcast series covering the issues that matter most in crop production. Tune in to episodes on iTunes and thedealwithyield.com. Welcome to The Deal with Yield with our host, Joel Whipperfirth, Director of eBusiness for Winfield United, and John Zuck, Agronomist for Winfield United. Joel, you were recently in Uganda judging submissions for a solution to eradicate fall armyworm in Africa. Tell us more about the Fall Armyworm Tech Prize. Yeah, so the, a couple questions probably come out of that. You know, first of all, fall armyworm. You know, John, we don't really have much for fall armyworm left around here, maybe in some no-till situations where there's some early season weed pressure. Uh, but the fall armyworm has been present in the U.S. for 127-plus years. It's new to Africa, which means it's new to people over there. And the second piece is, is, you know, they don't really use GMOs over there. So that's one of the reasons you might not have heard as much about fall armyworm. If you've used Herculex or Vip, Terra or smart stacks in the brands that are part of your traits that make up your seed genetics, you already have a built-in pest resistance mechanism. And so certainly it's affecting the entire African continent, but the tech prize was hosted in Uganda, which is kind of on the east side of Africa. That's to be quite an honor to be selected as a judge. It was uh, it was an honor. It was a really good experience to go over there. I think where my background comes into play there is for Winfield United and Answer Tech, we've been evaluating technology providers and their core competencies, their security, their ability to scale, the commercialness of the businesses. We've been doing that for three years now. Of the 400 companies in ag tech, I've probably met with 200 of them. So it's kind of what my day job has been for the last three years. This just happened to be transplanting onto a different continent and handling a similar agronomic problem just with different social instances in there. You know, in the U.S., less than 2% of people are involved in agriculture. In Uganda, closer to 80% of the people are involved in agriculture over there. So there's just a little different dynamic on who your audience was and how big your audience was. What are some of the reasons for the introduction of the armyworm in Africa? You know, I can't tell you exactly how it got over there, but it started probably about three, four years ago. They started to notice it in uh, in parts of West Africa, and they grow a lot of corn over there. The corn that they grow, though, is white corn, and the corn that they grow is also for what you'd call a subsistence farmer or a farmer who's producing a crop for their own food source. There's not really a big market set up. There's no number two yellow corn, but it's all white corn inside of these one to five acre parcels that are family owned, that people are growing food for their own families on. So Joel, being the simple-minded agronomist that I am, you went over there to look for a solution, but you told us, hey, we've been dealing with armyworm for 127 years in the United States, and we have a solution. It's called GMOs, aka Herculex, Viptera, Yieldguard VT. What could possibly be a different solution? And maybe tell us maybe some of those ideas that came out of that. Well, so, you know, it was, it was really interesting. You go over there and the prize was centered around having a bunch of competitors try to solve for this problem to help remediate fall armyworm, or at least kind of reduce or make awareness to people about what it is. But there's a number of problems that exist in that, you know, and you think about, first of all, can you identify the pest? Some of the solutions were very good at identifying the pest. The second part is, is the pest at threshold? And, you know, the third part is, is how would you remediate that pest? And so any good integrated pest management 
case study has those three pieces that all make it up. The aim was for these technology companies to come in and use the latest technology. Everybody has a phone over there. Not everybody has a smartphone, but everybody has a phone. So one of the cool technologies that somebody was using was just a survey app where uh, basically you'd get a text message on your phone, and then you could press one if you'd seen the phone army worm and two if you hadn't. And what they would give you in return is they would give you free airtel minutes so that you could call other family members. And so in an economy where a lot of people live at the poverty level, a couple of airtime minutes to call a, a relative or a friend is, is a really important thing. And that also allowed them to gather geospatial data on where the pest was and if people had seen it. And so there was some interesting technology solutions there where just a light surveying of what was going on in agriculture was kind of a cool way to solve and, and look at where they were having the problem. So coming from Uganda, I thought maybe that answer would have involved uh, hopping on a motorbike and going up in the mountains looking for <laughs> coffee, but that was a little bit more complex than what I was looking for. Yeah, all the good coffee is actually shipped to the U.S. So the coffee in country, it's okay. I'm more of a tea guy maybe when I'm in country over there. One of the solutions that I seen was somebody mentioned a chat bot. Now, chatbot to me, I mean, right now I'm just imagining maybe a bunch of millennials on their phone and then my idea goes, well, social media has a purpose? We actually do something? What the heck is a chatbot? Am I even close? <laughs> well, so to be specific, it'd probably be an artificially intelligent chatbot. And if you've ever been on a website, maybe you're looking up for a hotel or something like that, you're going someplace and you've been on the website for about three, four seconds, and there's a little person or something that comes up and says, would you like to chat? That might not actually be a human on the other end. It might actually just be a machine or a pre-programmed algorithm to use keywords that you've typed in, like looking for a hotel stay in October. And then that hotel's site would go back into the chat bot, and that artificial intelligence would make it seem like there's a human on that. So... You're telling me that we have robots that can chat with us and that use keywords, but the whole point is to try to eradicate the fall armyworm. So how can a robot that uses keywords try to kill an armyworm that could properly be identified by an inverted Y with three yellow stripes and one dark one down the middle of its back? So when you're dealing with a country where there's multiple different languages, certainly getting that communication trans transitioned out into the countryside, especially when it's technical information like an inverted Y and having the ability to repeat that information on and off. One of the cool things about one of those platforms that they did was they actually used Facebook as their platform. And so from a business standpoint, they had a monitored, secure and robust platform that they didn't invest any money in the technology, but they built a community of advisors who all would be able to help you understand what the fall armyworm looked like and what stage it was at. And there's certain stages that the fall armyworm is susceptible to things like insecticides. But once it grows up to be a big, large caterpillar, when they get to be about the size of a dog, you really can't kill them much with insecticides. Yeah, so more correctly defined size of a dog, one and a half to two inches long. Right, small dog, but eating your corn nonetheless. Yeah, I don't like those small dogs. <laughs> 
So going back to the life cycle of an army worm, I think that's kind of a unique frame that we should look at because just in a little bit of discussion about how that army worm can travel, you said it showed up in Uganda or Africa, what, 2016? Right now, this year in India, 2018, it's been identified. So it is starting to move in the parts of the world that don't have the traits that we typically deal with. One of the interesting things about that fall army worm moth is that moth can actually travel 300 miles. So here in the States, all of our overwintering occurs in Texas and Florida, places where it doesn't freeze. So wherever oranges are grown, particularly. And once that moth uh, flies to its destination, we're going to find probably a nice green grassy strip somewhere where it's going to lay some eggs and those eggs can hatch each moth 50 to 150 eggs that that moth can lay and then it's going to take probably three to seven days for those eggs to hatch then after that we got six instars of larvae so that's the eating that happens and that eating can happen anywhere from 15 to 30 days long so almost a month long before that larvae turns into a pupae and then becomes a moth again yeah and so you know what i think is really interesting in there so let's say uh, you me and linda are all farmers over there and if you control your pests but i don't control mine they can go right back to your crop by me not controlling mine. And so one of the things that happens over there, so Linda's a good farmer and she spots these worms at a very small instar stage and she goes out there with the right insecticide, the right mode of action, and she sprays them. I'm following Linda's lead and so I go out there, but I'm not as smart of a farmer and you know I got a good deal on some insecticide and I sprayed mine, but my insecticide was the same color as Linda's, but that was it. In a lot of cases over there, their supply chain for crop protection products isn't consistent in that manner. And then maybe John's a little bit slower of a farmer, and he sprayed his when it was at its fifth or sixth instar stage, and you know it had crawled into the tassel, and there was a frass plug or a plug of bug manure on the top there, and the insecticide didn't work, or the bug was too large to get it. Well, in either case, all three of us have not necessarily done anything for the pest, because now we can reinfest Linda's crop, even though she did the right thing. Thanks a lot. <laughs> well, correction, I'm not a slow farmer. I just didn't maybe know how to scout for armyworms. So proper way for scouting for armyworms, if you have an infection, is typically they like to uh, burrow in through the base of the ear, and then work their way down to the bottom. A lot of times we see pictures of basically just a corn plant with nothing left but the stalk in the midribs. A lot of times those are disaster scenarios, but most of the feeding and yield damage that is caused from those armyworms happens within the ear. That was an important note that I think we could be learning now in the United States because of our kind of maybe a little bit of deviation from traits going maybe more so to the conventional corn. Also to my area, we have a little bit of canning crops as well. So we've seen seen and I've seen a little bit more fall armyworm than I have probably in the past five years this year. And Joel, that was no relation to you going over there and coming back. I thought maybe one of those solutions is you brought them all back with you. And that's why all of a sudden they were showing up in southeastern Minnesota. Nope. Customs made sure to check me over it. Well, so one of the things, you know, you said it's very visual what those fall armyworms will do. One of the technologies they were using was similar to your facial recognition software that you might have on your iPhone, where it recognizes your facial features. And so that example of a deep learning algorithm or one of the categories of machine learning applied to, they teach the computer, this is a picture of what the damage looked like. And then they use that algorithm to continue to do that. So what some of the contestants or technology solutions for it did was, 
you took a picture of the pest and the algorithm would suggest to you which pest it was, whether it was a fall armyworm or whether it was a different pest. And it could also help you identify what instar or stages that that pest was at. So they were using artificial intelligence to help unlock the power of your smartphone. So thinking about uh, my small world in southern Minnesota and how we perform agriculture here, I mean, I just imagine just about every field, to my knowledge, gets scouted three, four, five times a season. We're out there, right? We're out there looking at the crop. I mean, maybe not every field, but we're out there looking at the crop fairly consistently. Now, give me an idea of how big of an area are we actually working with in Uganda? I mean, you mentioned earlier of, hey, small farm subsistence farming, and how much can actually be affected by just making sure, hey, this area has armyworms and we've identified them correctly. It's not so much of killing them, that's the issue, it's identifying where and when they are. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, in this case, the farms over generations have been passed down amongst their family members and it gets divided amongst the family members. So every time you keep dividing a farm, it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Some of the plots were, you know, quarter acre plots of corn was a probably a big farm. Maybe maybe a full acre would have been a huge farm. And certainly they have some degree of commercial agriculture over there, what we would consider a larger field, but it's somewhat regionally specific where they have that kind of stuff. The majority of this was being done by hand labor, no tractors, all hand planted, all hand tilled, and those sort of things. So imagine convincing 80% of the U.S. population of homeowners to all go out and scout out their lawns for a particular pest. And you've probably got some in-laws that you go, well, they wouldn't know the first thing about scouting that, or they'd handle it completely differently than I would. You're mobilizing a, a huge community of people. And one of the things that happens in that is you get lots of different answers. You get people that say it is fall armyworm. You get people that say it isn't fall armyworm. And so the consistency of information and quality information, credible information, was really tough. They have an extension service over there, but extension, just like here, can't reach all of the people. They're not set up to do that. And so along with having the potential for counterfeit chemical or, you know, chemical that doesn't actually have any active ingredient, just dyed water, came along, you know, misinformation and getting the ability to have credible data, as we talk about here a lot, credible information and being able to trust the person who gave you the recommendation. Did you get to see a field of armyworms when you were over in Uganda? <laughs> no, you know, most of what we saw was, again, it looked like to me what, what I'd consider a garden. There's lots of bananas. Food security, you know, when we talk about the, the reason I was over there was actually the USAID or USAID, however you want to say that, does a number of missions that they would offer up a bid for somebody to come into a foreign country and do some agricultural development work. So there's probably two US U.S. organizations, USAID and USDA, both of those will fund foreign agricultural facing missions. So what's interesting about Winfield United being a Land O'Lakes company, Land O'Lakes actually has a separate company called Land O'Lakes International Development, a non-governmental organization or an NGO. And this Land O'Lakes ID, as we call it, International Development, will sometimes leverage the business expertise inside of Land O'Lakes Inc., like Winfield United, to go over and be part of some of this mission work. So we actually, uh, one of our guys who actually used to run the seed treatment division, spent three years over there developing a feed supply chain for animal nutrition. 
which our Purina large animal nutrition business has some core competency in that place. So how we got involved and where our areas of expertise was me being a business representative and understanding the agronomy that goes into it, we were able to go over there and observe some of these things. But when I go to food security, you know, this is about people having a consistent food source. Uganda being an equatorial climate right on the equator, they actually got lots of rainfall and they got plenty of sunlight. This was more about their production practices planting three seeds of corn in one hole. And I just couldn't stop thinking of precision planting, you know, and farmers spending millions of dollars retrofitting planters to get one seed, picket fence, perfect spacing in one hole. And their farmers over there are planting three and then thinning back to get the right one. And so there's all these cultural production practices that go on over there, as well as, you know, not necessarily having a supply chain to get rid of their product. And so they're just raising it for themselves. So we're really over there trying to help with food security and helping them get their production practices in play that can help increase their yields and and feed their families. So thank you for that explanation of how relevant it is to farmers here in the U.S. I mean, I think we're at ground zero a lot of times of feeling obligated of how do we produce all this food to feed the world. And uh, we know that there's other mechanisms out there because prior to this, maybe the only thing I knew about a chatbot was it was a robot that came on the other end and I could type things in it, but I didn't ever think it would ever play a factor into trying to eradicate such a big issue in a different country outside of farming practices that we currently know. And you've maybe heard me talk before on this podcast about the mechanical revolution, the uh, the biotech revolution or the chemical revolution, biotech revolution, and now we're in this fourth revolution of, of agriculture and the mathematical era. And the thing that I've always said about the mathematical era is it will hit the globe all at the same time. They haven't used the mechanical era over there. They don't have tractors in some cases. India, the same thing. Some parts of India have tractors. Some parts don't have tractors. When I visited there two years ago, I visited a farm that had two ox. And with two ox and a plow, they were able to work seven acres of potatoes in. But this mathematical era of agriculture will hit everybody at the same time because they have access to cell phones. In a lot of cases, their cell phone batteries and phones are better over there. They're way ahead in the financial sector of being able to transfer money on phones because there is no central banking system that they can go to and get money out of an ATM for. So there's parts of the developing world that are ahead of us in those segments, but this mathematical era will benefit farmers across the globe all at the same time. There's not going to be a 60-year lag. All these algorithms can hit them at the same time. What's the equivalency of one ox power to one horsepower? (laughs) I don't know. It was a white ox, and I don't think we have as many white tractors anymore. So, Joel, with all those things and and knowing that fall armyworms are such a big issue in in countries outside of the United States, can you give us a little foresight on maybe what the winner might be and, uh, you know, what it might mean to United States agriculture? Yeah, so I'm going to be going back over uh, to discuss with the other judges what the best solutions are. And, John, I, I tell you what, in my heart, it's a really difficult solution to think about. Some of these apps were really good at reaching the masses, but sometimes 
they would have trouble with the credibility of their information because they were crowdsourcing things. But they could reach a lot of people at once. Some of these apps were really technically competent in that they used the facial recognition software to properly identify the pest. And I actually have a lot of confidence in that kind of technology. And some of them were supply chain apps that you could basically use. It was kind of like Amazon for the supply chain of crop protection that you could get a certified supply chain of chemical over there. And so I don't know. I think you're going to have to pay attention to how, when, the, when the winters are announced. But if you wanted to keep pace, fallarmywormtech.challenges.org will keep you informed of the updates. But it'll be down to the wire. So one last question. Was there any criteria for entering in into this contest? Say, were these companies or these apps based in Uganda? Was there any specific criteria there on how the contestants might perform their task? Yeah, so the, the criteria, actually, we had uh, we had contestants and entries from all over the globe. Uh, and, you know, hundreds of companies entered into the competition, you know, a couple from the United States. A, a lot of the competitors came from the African continent, and a few of them were local. So the thing that I always, I wake up and think about this every day, the smartest people in the world don't work for my company. They work all over the world. They're remote locations. Some of them were from Uganda. Some of them were from India. Some of them were from Europe. And so being able to really pool the talent of the world for such an important technology competition, I think was the key attribute that lets us boil this down to the winner that will be able to influence and and help remediate the fall armyworm and keep the food security of those farmers who are trying to feed their families and help improve their lives. You've been listening to The Deal with Yield with Joel Whipperforth, Director of eBusiness for Winfield United, and John Zook, Agronomist for Winfield United. For additional episodes of The Deal with Yield, visit iTunes and thedealwithyield.com. 